The scripture reading today is found in Romans, the fourth chapter, the end of that chapter, beginning with verse 20. Yet he did not waver through unbelief, that is, Abraham, regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words, it was credited to him, was written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness, for us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. The word of the Lord. Last winter, I had chest pain that necessitated going to the doctor and having a stent put in one of the arteries around my heart. Uh, Part of that rehabilitation process was a trip to the nutritionist, where he tells you all the stuff you already knew, much of what you already knew and didn't want to hear. For instance, anything that tastes good is bad for you, (laughs) and anything that tastes like cardboard is uh, something you should eat. He looked at me and said, "Uh, Preacher, you're going to have to start looking at fried chicken like it was a heart attack. And I thought, now that's what a way to rain on a guy's parade, a Baptist preacher's parade anyway, you know. Fried chicken was to be seen as a heart attack. In other words, he he wanted me to start looking at food differently. And seeing that which was good for me and recognizing that that was something that was healthy and was good for me. And seeing that Kentucky Fried Chicken with the how many ever herbs and spices that we don't know about was probably not the thing I needed to eat at least every day. Now, I'm the heart attack or the heart chest pain wasn't that bad, so that, you know, fried chicken is still on the list, but sort of way down and not very often. You've got to start looking at things differently, he said. And that's what I want us to do today. That's what Paul does in this fourth chapter, the entire chapter, really, of, of his letter to the Romans. And really, in some ways, all of Romans is that way. He's saying to us that at the very beginning, Abraham was a man of faith. He was told by God to go to a land he did not know of. Where is it going to be, Lord? I don't know. How far is it going to be? I don't know. How will I know when I get there? I don't know. You will find out. But Abraham went in faith and was always known as a man of faith and started the Hebrew religion, what we call today the Jewish faith. But somewhere along the line, Paul said, faith so was pushed to the side. And it was not so much what you believed in or that you trusted God, but that you followed the rules, that you behaved in a certain way. Paul was born in a time when the rules were important and faith had been sort of shunted aside. You were a good believer if you did certain things, ate certain foods and kept certain holidays and believed certain things in certain ways. 
Paul was a Pharisee of the Pharisee. He was a strict observer of the law. He ate that which he was supposed to eat, and he celebrated those days that were to be celebrated. He walked as far as he could on the Sabbath and no further. And he missed the boat. Somehow in the midst of all of that legalism, strictness, he missed the boat. In fact, he thought, he thought it was so important to bear down on the law that if people didn't follow it just the way he did, he persecuted them. And that's where he was on his way to Damascus to persecute Christians when God met him through the person of Jesus Christ, flung him off a horse onto the ground and struck him blind. And later he was converted. And he began to understand that one is put in right relationship with God, not through the law, not through what one does, as important as that might be, but by one's relationship in faith to God. Paul recognized, laying on the ground, blind, on the road to Damascus, that he had to start thinking about religion in a different way. When fried chicken becomes a heart attack. And so it is that with us. I want to urge you to start thinking about your faith in a different way today because it, it's difficult to do that. We get sought in a rut. Now I know that because I've been here enough that I can know who's here by just all looking where you're sitting. I, I see. We're missing a few people here. We, I, I know some, yeah. The staller, I know where you sit. You're always right there. I know some of the rest of you, too. Always right there. I have a friend who's pastoring. He started preaching one Sunday, and he stopped in the middle of a sermon. He said, where's Margaret? That was his wife. He says, where's Margaret? And she was sitting in a place other than her accustomed place. She raised her hand. He said, okay, I just can't preach unless I know where she was. And then she, he went right on. We all are creatures of habit of one kind of another. Our children... Uh, kid Barbara and I, because we eat an orange every day. I mean, that's all like a that's like Paul's law. I mean, we eat an orange every day, uh, 365 days a year, unless you know we just some reason can't get one. And our children say to us, if we have a bad day or not feeling well, they say, "Well, you probably didn't eat your orange today." <laughs> we all have these little routines that we get into the ruts, if you will, like the, you've heard the old illustration hundred times probably about the lady who was cooking the fancy dinner and had the ham and cut the end of the ham off before she cut it and her daughter said why do you do that and she said well mama always did it well why'd mama do it I don't know and so when mama got to the family gathering they said oh, granny why did why do you cut the hang off the end off the ham before you cook it and she said well mama always did it and so when great grandma got there they asked her, Granny said, why, why do you cut the end of the ham off like that? And great-grandma said, well, because I didn't have a pan big enough for it. <laughs> See, for three generations that followed something that had no intrinsic value, it was just something that had to be done four generations ago. So they followed that same pattern. We, we have a tendency to do that in our religious life, to do what Granny always did or to do what we've always done. To think the way we've always thought. To not skipper gear, if you will. And Paul was saying in this fourth chapter of Romans, we need to start thinking in a different way. Because at one time I thought 
following the law and bearing down on the law and persecuting those who didn't follow it just like I did, somehow that, that was the important role in life. But I've come to understand that the faith of Abraham, the faith, the, the, the prophet of our faith was in, in, in his faith, in his commitment to follow God, that we are made right with God, not with what we do, because we'll never do enough. We're made right with God through our faith in him, in Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so Paul enjoins us to think differently than we've thought before. And I, and I want to do the same thing. And, and I want to do that not because I think your faith is bad. If, you, you, know, you may be, have a perfectly healthy faith. You may have honed your faith and smoothed your faith. You may have been filled with the right kind of questions and you may have educated yourself and through inspiration and meditation. You may, you may have a healthy faith. I hope you have. You probably do. But I'm just saying to you that maybe you need to hone it a little more. Look at, look at it just a little bit differently. Like one man said, you know, you, you don't have to change everything. Just because it's new, just because it's fresh. He said, you don't need a jet plane to get to Salem. And that's true. You don't need to do the newest thing if, it's, if what you've got is not only are you comfortable with, but it's, it's healthy and it's good. But the, the thing you need to say to the fellow who says you don't need a jet plane to get to Salem is, it's not wise maybe be still riding a horse either. And too many of us are riding a horse that, that our grandfather rode. And there are times when our faith needs to be honed and grown just a tad more. So I'm not saying that your faith is necessarily bad. Sometimes an old-time religion is a good, good faith. But it needs to be yours and it needs to be something you carefully thought about and adjusted. I do want to... Sort of push you, if you will, a little bit to talk and to listen and think about those things which might be counter to way, the way you think about faith. I remember vividly sitting in a class in uh, religion at the University of Richmond. This has been a long time ago when I was still in college. And the religion professor asked a question of the class, sort of a rhetorical question. Then he looked at me and he says, how do you want to answer that, Mr. Lashley? And I blurted out this answer that I knew was heresy, that I knew was out of the box, that certainly uh, wasn't sort of orthodox theology. And I just knew as soon as he, I said that, that the orthodox police for the Baptist faith would come in the door and just grab me and and pull me out whimpering, you know, and then maybe put me on a stake and burn me or something because I had said something so radical. Uh, And the professor sat there for a minute, and he looked down at his shoes, and he looked at his desk. Then he looked at me, and he had this little wistful grin on his face. I, I can see it right now. And he just sort of nodded a little bit, and then he went on with his lecture. But in that moment, in that moment, my mind changed. My 
focus. My, I saw something that I'd never seen before. I've since sort of discarded part of the answer I gave that day, but it started me to thinking and reflecting in a way that I'd never, and it took me down a path that is perhaps the cornerstone of my theology today. Perhaps you've had moments like that too. When even unexpectedly, for some reason, you got this insight, this aha, this eureka feeling, this oh. When God said something to you, it may have been through an individual or through an incident in your life, but suddenly, suddenly, it broke through and you said, oh, yeah. And I would encourage you to, to be open to that more often. And, and one way you do that, I think, is to talk to people who disagree with you about faith. Talk to, because we can learn a lot from people like, well, like a Buddhist. We can learn a lot about meditation and contemplation. From a Hindu, we can learn a lot, a lot about the meaning and quality of all of life. We, from a Muslim, we can learn about daily prayers. From a Jew, we can learn about covenant relationships. We can learn from Catholics and Pentecostals and Presbyterians and Methodists. We can learn from everybody, even those people who are on a faith. We can learn from all folks. Well, maybe not the Methodists, you know. (laughs) I've probably got some old Methodists here going to give me a hard time afterwards. But we really can learn from other folks who have a different insight, a different bounce on religion and we need to hear them and I'm, I'm talking about listening I'm not just talking about tolerating them although I think we need to tolerate I mean listen to them how do we expect for other people to hear what we've got to say about faith if we are not willing to listen to what they have to say and to recognize that what they have to say can be valuable too at least parts of it can be can be assimilated into our faith and make us even more vibrant, healthy than ever before. So I want want to push you a little bit at that edge to sort of hear and listen to what other people say about faith because they may may be able to say something that will be healthy for you. The last thing I want to remind you about in terms of our faith is to recognize, and I think Paul recognized this, None of us have finally, finally arrived. Not the Baptist, not the Methodist, not the Presbyterian. Not any of us have finally arrived. There ought to be a sense of awe and mystery in our faith. We always do. Even in an uneasy sense, we ought to be convinced of faith and yet unconvinced. We ought to always be sort of asking God for more. There's a, there's a mystery to religion that ought to be conveyed in our worship style where we we recognize that we always have something that God can surprise us with in elegant ways. God can surprise us. He can turn the corner and we are faced with something that we've never been faced before. We can be lifted into majesty. Our eyes can be opened. Our prayers can descend to depths we've never known before. And only if we're open to that kind of mystery rather than being closed like Paul was. Only if we're open to that mystery will we ever discover him in his fullness. Only then will we know the risen Christ with the stone rolled back. Recently I saw on PBS a series, British series, 
called Cranford. Maybe you've seen it. I saw a couple series of episodes of it. But about a little village called Cranford in England in the, I guess, the mid-1800s. And they, the characters were just interesting British characters, you know, kind of gossipy, centered primarily around women, but, it was, you know, well, the typical heroes and heroines and the love stories and the mysteries and the gossip of, of uh, old England. There was a lot of tradition in Cranford. They prided themselves on being somewhat isolated, and the matriarch in the story was the sort who insisted everybody follow her rules in the house. They got an orange on one occasion, and she made sure that everybody peeled their oranges just so and then ate them with a knife and fork. An orange with a knife and fork. She she would have gone completely ballistic if she'd known that one of the younger ladies in the household sneaked her orange to the bedroom, cut a hole in it, and squeezed it like we did as children. She was prompt and primper, and etiquette was important to her at all times. And it happened during one sequence, uh, the neighbor had left and gone to London or somewhere and left his two daughters there, and one daughter was very sickly and died while he was gone. So the neighbors rallied around this other lady, and they wondered who would, who would lead the funeral procession. After all, as the matriarch said, women didn't walk in funerals. That was the tradition in Cranford. Women didn't walk in funerals. Dad was gone. He was the likely person to lead. And he was the only real male in the family who would walk in front of the funeral. And she said, women don't walk in funerals. But in the next scene, the matriarch was seen leading the funeral procession because she had come to understand that her love and devotion to her neighbor who had died was far more important than the rules and the etiquette that had ruled Cranford for so many years. There are times, my friends, when you start to need to start looking at life differently when you need to sort of explore different ways of seeking God in his face, there are times, like Paul said, when we need to resolve back to that which is crucial and key and important and push aside those things which are strenuous. There are times to look at life differently, to see fried chicken as a heart attack. Shall we pray together? Our Father, forgive us if we have gone into some sort of spiritual rut in our life so that we are not surprised by your presence, so that we do not grow. Help us to understand that we must seek your face in different ways and in different confines and new language. Let Paul teach us, O God, that faith and faith alone is crucial and important the basis for all of our relationships with you and with one another. We thank you, O God, that you are open to us. May we now be open to you as well. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.